Hello, thank you for listening to this sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allow you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. If you have your Bibles, why don't you open up, if you would please, to 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6, we're going to read there and then we're going to flip over to 1 Chronicles as well. First, or 2 Samuel chapter 6. Um, just so you know, it won't be up on the screen this morning. Um, I just, I have to admit, and I apologize, it probably wasn't the best attitude this morning. I just thought, you know what, I'm going to make people work today. I'm going to make them open their Bible or open their phone. So, probably wasn't in the right spirit, I apologize. But I do desire for you to open up your word, open up God's word, your copy there. I hope that you would, uh, that you would bring his word. Some of you have electronic devices and you have it, and that's great. Uh, utilize those. I'm old school. Um, I'm, I, I got to have this. I mean, I use this sometimes um, when it's convenient to use, but I tell you, I don't know. Anyway, I'm getting old, that's all. Um, so we're going we're gonna to read here in Second Samuel. As I was thinking about um, just the joy of celebrating I just had to ask the Lord, Lord, where, where in your word does it talk about celebrating and the joy of celebrating? And it took me back to the account of, of David and uh, the Ark of the Covenant. And so we're going to read through that. And I think there's some things that we can really learn and apply as we live out our faith and as we even celebrate today. Um, you know, I went back to and just kind of looked at some things. Um, when you've been around for a while, you tend to do that. Um, we're... I'm finishing here my 18th year as senior pastor. Um, And so at the age of 27, God saw fit. And not too many of you were here back then, but this church, some reason, uh, entrusted a 27-year-old to lead them. I I still don't get it. uh, It was definitely a God thing. Um, and, And I'm just so thankful for God's faithfulness. For those uh, first couple years, I just kept kind of looking over my shoulder, waiting for, you know, things just to crumble and fall apart. You know, in college, we were always, you know, in the dorm, you'd, you'd talk about, you know, those those examples that your professors would share of, you know, like this church fell apart because of this and this church. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be one of those examples. They're going to talk about me. And, uh, and yet God has been faithful and, uh, and God's brought different people along at different seasons. And we've seen God's faithfulness here um, through West Hill. You know, we sit today in a facility that is, I, I believe, it's just beautiful. It, it is that. It's just brick and mortar and wood. But we, God has entrusted to us a beautiful facility, has he not? I mean, I praise him for that. And, and the beautiful thing is, is we don't owe a penny, not one penny on this facility, which is just awesome. And we praise God for that. That's God who has provided. There's a lot that's changed over these years. And uh, I'm going to focus just a little bit on these last, um, kind of these last 22 years. Um, But even before that, you know, when we think about how West Hill started, and, and uh, this is the second facility that they built, um, and, and moving and, and transitioning to different location. You know, back in 1970, um, this this body of believers, this church, uh, gathered um, to with alongside of 
the Jewish synagogue, uh, their leadership, and together they partnered and shared a lawyer, uh, and they went to court in order to build upon these corners here, because back in the day, uh, the, the leaders of the community didn't want the churches built here. Uh, the Church of Christ building was already there, but uh, the, the Jewish synagogue wanted to build, and uh, the leaders at West Hill wanted to build, and so together uh, they shared and partnered and shared a, a lawyer, which is kind of cool in that history. And, uh, and so they, uh, they saw fit, and God provided the, the, the grounds here. Uh, was old farmland and uh, had some orchard in it as well. And, uh, and so they started clearing, clearing the land, and they built this wonderful facility here. In 1971, uh, it was completed. And so uh, 1971, how many of you, no, I won't ask you to see how many of you were around, but I was not around in 1971. And so I was uh, just a glimmer in my parents' eye. Six years later, I would come along. That shows you how young I am, and that's a good thing. Um, but uh, from that point on, uh, the faithfulness of God here at West Hill in this location. Um, back in 2005, uh, as I shared, I became the senior pastor. God led in that. And, uh, and so um, I love it. It's okay. It's all good. I hope it's fun. Oh, it's your phone. I mean, your watch. Smart watches. They're not so smart. But um, back in 2005, started, like I said, at uh, 27 years of age. And, uh, and at that time, we had 108 members here at the church on our roll. And so um, as of today, out of those 108, 45 have passed away. And so that's uh, almost 42%. 42% of the people who were here in 2005, who were sitting where you sit, are, are home in glory. Well, we pray most of all of them are, and especially if they were members, um, they're home in glory. Um, 39 of them um, moved, have moved, um, and then two have become associate, meaning that out of those 108, 22 are still here today. 22. So back in 2005, if you take that number and there's 22 people, if nobody ever stepped foot into West Hill and we just still gathered today, there would be 22 of us. Crazy to think about, really. And uh, just, uh, just a few, uh, few families that, that have been around here um, since that time. Thelma Bean, Margie Briggs, uh, the Stoffers, and Betty Neighbors. Those five aren't able to be with us in person. And so they worship um, a lot of them at nursing homes. And so yet uh, we've kept them on the roll, uh, a couple of them. One of them is um, a charter member. And so we felt like that was important to keep her on there. Others have been involved since the very beginning as well. So if you take those 22 and you remove five from that who are here and active, um, that leaves you with Vince Dodato. Vince, we knew you were old, but you've been around. And uh, Mark and Patty Gibbs, Rhonda Kiefer, Rick and Sherry Courtwaysey, Andy and Patty McNulty, 
Bob and Peggy and Susan Nylinger. She was a Nylinger back then. And uh, Bernie and Georgia Risch, Dick and Carolyn Steiner, and then Lisa and I. That's pretty wild, isn't it? I mean, you look around and you're like, okay, that's, that's different. And I don't say that. Please listen very clearly. This is not about me or anything that our leadership has done. It's not about programs that we've done. This, this, this morning, it talks about the faithfulness of God in this place and his hand upon it. Back in 2013, uh, the women had a prayer list. And, uh, and it was uh, three pages. Uh, no, yeah, three pages, front and back. And, uh, and it was updated in April of 2013. There were 93 women who were here at the church. Um, not all of them were members, but they were, um, they were here and involved in some way. Out of those 94, 28 of those ladies have passed away. 34 have moved on. Six have become associate members. And 26 are active today. So then I went to pre-COVID, okay? Whatever your feeling is on COVID and all that, we're not here to talk about that. But 2018, before everything else went crazy. 2018, we had 121 members. And so out of those 121, nine passed away. Uh, 35 have moved and five moved to associate, which left then 72. And so we are here today at 100 soon to be 102, all right, and because uh, two more will be joining this morning. Um, but it's interesting to think out of, uh, out of our 102 that are here today who are members, not just, act, or not just uh, um, here um, as family worshiping regularly, but really committed members, that's 30%. 30% of our membership is new from 2018, in a world and a day and a time where churches don't see that, God has been faithful. God has been good to this church and to this people. Let's look at uh, Samuel, if you would, uh, with me. I'm going to read uh, quite a bit, and then we're going to kind of go back, and I'll just kind of give a layout of some things that I think we can learn from. Second Samuel chapter 6, we'll start in verse 1. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah, Baal Judah to bring up the, uh, from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzziah and Ahio kind of like Ohio, which is cool. The sons of Abinadab were driving the new cart with the ark of God, and Ohio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with song and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nikon, Uzziah put out his hand of the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen had stumbled the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzziah, and God struck him down there because of his error. And he died there beside the, beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzziah. And that place is called 
Pariza Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom and to the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Then it was told King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him. Behold, because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. ephod. And David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, uh, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. And they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among all the people and the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed, each one to his house. Then David returned to bless his household, but Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shame, shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as a prince over Israel, the people of the Lord, and I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. If you would flip over um, just a couple um, books later uh, to First Chronicles, First Chronicles chapter 13. Again, I just want to read this to you. We're going to read chapter 13. There's 14 verses there. And then we're going to skip chapter 14. Chapter 14 just talks about David and all of his children, his wives and children, and how he went out to fight the Philistines and how they were defeated. And so we'll then pick it back up in chapter 15. So First Chronicles chapter 13. It kind of gives the same picture, the same story, a few other details, okay? David consulted with the commanders of the thousands and of the hundreds, with every leader. And David said to all the assembly of Israel, If it seems good to you and from the Lord our God, let us send abroad to our brothers who remain in all the lands of Israel, as well as to the priests and the Levites in the cities that have pasture lands, that they may be gathered to us. And let us bring again the ark of our God to us, for we did not seek it in the days of Saul." All the assembly agreed to do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. So David assembled all Israel from the Nile of Egypt to Lebao Hamath to bring the ark of God from Kareth Jerem. 
And David and all Israel went up to Bala, that is Kareth Jerim, that belongs to Judah, to bring up from the ark, from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord, who sits enthroned above the cherim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart from the house of Abinadab, and Uzzah and Ahio were driving the cart. And David and all Israel were celebrating before God with all their might, with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and cymbals and trumpets. And when they came to the threshing floor of uh, Chidon, Uzziah put out his hand to take hold of the ark, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzziah, and he struck him down because he, was put, because he put out his hand to the ark, and he died before God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzziah. And that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. David was afraid of God that day, and he said, How can I bring the ark of God home to me? So David did not take the ark home into the city of David, but took it, as, took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of God remained with the house of Obed-Edom and his house three months. And the Lord blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that he had. Now let's flip forward to chapter 15, verse 1. David built houses for himself in the city of David, and he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. Then David said to no one but the Levites, David said that no one but the Levites may carry the ark of God, for the Lord had chosen them to carry the ark of the Lord and to minister to him forever. And David assembled all Israel at Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord to its place when he had prepared for it. And David gathered together the sons of Aaron and the Levites, the sons of Kohath, Earl the chief, and 120 of his brothers, and of the sons of Moriah, Asa the chief, with 220 of his brothers, and the son of Gershom, Joel the chief, with 130 of his brothers, and of the sons of Elizaphan, uh, Shammah the chief, with 200 of his brothers, of the sons of Hebron, Elel the chief, with 80 of his brothers, and of the sons of Uzel, Aminadab, the chief, with 112 of his brothers. Then David summoned the priests Zodak and Abith, uh, Abithahar, and the Levites Uriel, Uzziah, Joel, Shema, Elam, and, and Aminadab. And he said to them, You are the heads of the father's house of the Levites. Consecrate yourself, you and your brothers, so that you may bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, to the place that I have prepared for it. Because you did not carry it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us, because we did not seek him according to the rule. So the priests and the Levites consecrated themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel. And the Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders with the poles, as Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord. David also commanded the chief of the Levites to appoint their brothers as the singers who should play loudly on musical instruments, on harps and lyres and cymbals, to raise the sound of joy. The, so the Levites appointed Heman, the son of Joel, and his brothers Aspha, and the son of Berechah, and the sons of Merah, and their brothers Ethan, and the sons of Kudash, Kushshah, and with them their brothers of the second order, uh, Zechariah, Jeziel, Shamaroth, Jezel, Unna, Eleb, Benani, Benai, uh, Massa, 
all those names, and the gatekeepers of Obed-Edom, verse 19, and the singers Hama, Aspa, and Ethan were to sound bronze cymbals. These people, in verse 20, were to play harps according to Almuth. But Matthiah and those people were to lead with lyres according to the Shamath, Shamineth. Janath, the leader of the Levites in music, should direct the music, for he understood it. Uh, Baraka and Elakan were to be the gatekeepers for the ark. These others, the priests, should blow the trumpets before the ark of God. Obed-Edom and Jenaniah were to be the gatekeepers for the ark. So David and the elders of Israel and the commanders of the thousands went to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord from the house of Obed-Edom with rejoicing. And because God helped the Levites who were carrying the ark of the covenant of the Lord, they sacrificed seven bulls and seven rams. David was clothed with a robe of fine linen. And also were all the Levites who were carrying the ark and the singers and Chenaniah, the leader of the music of the singers. And David wore a linen ephod. So all Israel brought up the ark of the covenant of the Lord with shouting to the sound of the horn, the trumpet, the cymbals, and made a loud noise with harps and lyres. And as the ark of the covenant of the Lord came to the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David dancing and celebrating, and she despised him in her heart. Whoa, right? There's a lot of names there. Thanks for your patience, and I'm sure... You were saying the right way to say them as I was saying the wrong ways. The truth is this. The ark was taken by the Philistines uh, from Saul. And it was uh, it spent seven months amongst the Philistines. We can read about that in 1 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 1. So for seven months, the ark of, of the God of Israel was amongst the Philistines. And they suffered uh, tremendously. Because that ark was there, the ark of God, um, the Philistines had boils, they had disease, they had mice problem, they had um, just a severe pestilence. And so they said to one another, we got to get rid of this thing. So after seven months, while they had taken it from Saul, um, they gave it back. The story's pretty cool how they do it, okay? You look it up and read it. it you know, the Bible is pretty, pretty great to read. If you haven't noticed, you should do that. Um, but they send it on, on a cart, all right? They, they box it in, put it on this cart. They put two cows, milking cows that have never seen, um, uh, 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 what's that called? The, the thing on their neck. A yoke, see? You guys should be preachers. Um, put a yoke. They had never seen a yoke on their neck. All right, they took their young calves away from them and they put these two uh, milking cows pulling the ark along with um, these little boils and mice that were gold. Okay, they made these golden images. All right, and so they, they put those in a box separate from the Ark of the Covenant. And so they sent this out and they had um, just people following it on the side, spying to see where these cows would go. And sure enough, they went to the land of Israel and went to Kareth Jerem, which is uh, the house of Abinadab. If you know who Abinadab is, if you don't, let me tell you who he is. He's David's brother. All right. He's the second oldest. And so he's in this town 
And for 20 years, the Ark of the Covenant stays in his house. And him and his son, uh, Eleazar, were charged in 1 Samuel chapter 7 to care for the Ark of the Covenant. So for 20 years, it sits in the house of Abinadab, David's brother. David says, hey, it would be good to get the Ark of the Covenant right into the city of David. And so it was to be brought out of Baal Judah, which is the same city, just a different name known for it uh, than Kareth Jerem, uh, by David and many, many men. If you go back to First um, Samuel or Second Samuel, you see that there's 30, roughly 30,000 men, all right, that have gathered and they're gathering others to bring the ark back. And so when they see this, um, they're bringing it, they want to bring it to uh, the ark to us. It's interesting the phrases and the words used here, um, because David is really, it seems to be this first time is all about himself. Let's bring it to us. I want. Well, there's a change here because while they're bringing back the ark and in their celebration with all their might, um, there is great horror that takes place. There's a phrase here, God had broken out. All right. God had broken out against Uzziah. Uzziah dies. All right. And uh, because he reached out and he touched the ark of the covenant, which was against the rules. Right. As we're reading this, you think, oh, that's bad. Um, but let me share with you a couple other things. While they also experienced horror, it says that David was angry with God and that he feared God. And so as they went through this, they went um, and the ark was taken um, to another person's house because David didn't want it uh, in the city of David. When he does this, there's a period of time that takes place, and it's almost like you can read, because of the reason why I read both passages to you, because there was almost like there was a realization by David that he needed time to work through. So for three months, the ark is blessing this, this home that it's in, all right, understand this new home is a Levitical home. Why is that important? Because before it was in David's family's house, but David's family wasn't a Levite, nor were they charged to care for it, but they took care of it. David, when they're looking for a home, they find a Levite and they give it to him <laughs> To care for, and in those three months, God greatly blesses that family. And David gets word of that. And I believe at that point, somewhere in those three months' time, David realized that what he had done was wrong. And so David went and he brought the ark of God with rejoicing a second time. And he said this that the Levites only could carry the ark. Because God had chosen them. We saw that we reference back to Numbers chapter 4 and Numbers chapter 7 when God laid the guidelines out 
the guidelines for taking care of the ark. God had helped the Levites. An interesting phrase there. The Levites were carrying the ark and God helped them. They were able to do it because God helped them. David, the Levites, the singers, and Chenea, who is the leader of the music, all wore fine linen. This was linen that was an apparel that, that the Levites would often wear. It symbolized that they were there in the right spirit and the right heart. They were there um, and had clothed themselves. Again, clothing back then was critically important. When you were mourning, you take off and you put on uh, um, sackcloth and you're throwing ashes on your head. And so here, this is a celebration. This is a time where God's people were gathering, where, where it was uh, uh, a very public way of displaying God's order. There was burnt offerings and peace offerings offered. And David uh, was blessed, and he returned that blessing to others as he celebrated in the city by handing out meat and raisin cakes. And it sounded like a fun time. Some people say, well, why do you Baptists always eat? Well, right there. I mean, you celebrate, you got to eat. And they're handing out meat and bread and raisins and all kinds of good stuff. But there was somebody who wasn't celebrating, right? Michael. Michael, in both passages, we see Michael's uh, um, looking from a distance. And she observes. Um, and she is bitter. Um, and so when we look at this, there's a few things that I just want to highlight for us as we think about celebrating. We don't have the Ark of the Covenant to bring back, all right? Um, we don't know where it's at anyway, uh, nor would it be fitting for us to have it. Um, would it be cool to see it? Yeah, like that's what there were movies made about that. The Ark of the Covenant symbolized the presence of God. Amongst his people. I don't know about you. But I want to continue to see the presence of God. Amongst his people. Do you? So there's three things that we need to do. Just as David said. Let us. So I challenge. And I charge us today. Let us first. With all of our might. Serve and worship the Lord. I love how in even both passages, both times David goes to retrieve the ark, the first time and the second time, even in the midst of tragedy and horror and fear, he worships, he worships with all of his might. I think sometimes we walk into church and we're just like, all right, I'm here. Got to do my thing. I don't really feel like being here, but I know I need to be here. And there's some days I get that. Some days I don't want to do dishes. Some days I don't want to mow the grass. Some days I don't want to do what I know I need to do. That's called duty. You do it because there's a duty that you're held responsible for. But you shouldn't make duty a constant motivation. If it is, then you need to check your heart. What motivates you to do what you do? 
It says David here and the people around him said, let's go grab this ark and let's bring it back. Because why? Because even during Saul's day, it wasn't used. It wasn't consulted. Why did Saul struggle as king? Interesting thought that came across as I studied this. Nowhere do we see that Saul for those 20 years went after the ark of God. Nor did he go after to consult it. Consult the God who was responsible, who had told his people to make it and to carry it and to use it. We're called to worship and to serve God with all of who we are. Lukewarm isn't good enough. And in fact, what we see in Revelation is lukewarm is despised by God. And so I encourage you, next week, the week after, and the weeks to come, may this be a charge to us that as we come and worship together, that we would do it with all of our might. Put aside your own preferences. Put aside your own desires of what you think worship should look like. Whatever it looks like shouldn't change where your heart is. Because there's a couple of truths. Number one, we want to sing and we want to preach the truth of God's word. As long as I'm here, that, we, that we, is what we will strive to do. So don't worry about that. Keep us in check, please. It's not about the truth. It's about coming with all of our heart, with all of our might. Don't you dare make worship about you. Worship is a response to our great God. Is he good? All the time. And all the time, he is good. Number two is this. Let us, with all of our obedience, serve and worship the Lord. Here's the truth of this, uh, this story is we, we can't take shortcuts, all right? Whether David did it on purpose or he was oblivious, we can debate that. But the truth is David in his first time of going to get the ark didn't do it the way God told him to do it. It was clearly laid out that the Levites were to carry the ark. What happened? David had other men carrying the ark who were they well we know two of them were his nephews and one of them put out their hand to stop the ark because why because the ark was falling why was the ark falling oh because it was on a cart men weren't carrying it like they were supposed to they had put it on a cart Maybe was it because they had seen that 20 years earlier that the ark was on a cart? I don't know. Maybe because somebody else does it, then we need to do it. We should try it that way because they did it and they saw success. <laughs> no, there's a certain way of living life. There's a certain way of coming before God in our worship and in our service. God's word tells us what truth looks like. He defines it, not us. 
And anytime we try to redefine truth, we are going to be struck with horror, with fear, and with doubt. Just like David was. So we must cling to this. This is what defines truth. Not our government. Not others. Not even people with the right heart. Not even people that are in with all of their might. With all of who they are in great gusto. And all of their, their, their joy and everything that it is doesn't make it right. Just because they're enthusiastic about it doesn't define it as the truth. We have the truth. Do you know what the truth is? I won't get on my soapbox, but you know what I'm talking about. Okay, I'll step on it real quick. Marriage. What is marriage? Why would we even begin to think that we can redefine marriage? Because we want to read the Bible differently. The Bible says it's one woman and one man. I didn't say that. God said that. And when did it be okay? When did it, when did it start to be okay to kill people? I don't know if you saw elections happen last week. Um, and we prayed about that last Sunday. But there is one state who voted not to give a child who is born medical attention. That it was no longer required to give that child medical attention even after they're born. And you want to define truth from this world? It's post-Christian, all right. It's anti-God. The truth of God's word says that every person has value in the eyes of God. That God has formed each one of us in our mother's womb. He knit us, put us together. We didn't have any part of that. God did that. In so doing, he has a plan for each one of our lives. Who are we to think that we can be God and redefine things? It's coming. Just wait. Our older seasoned people, you know what? They don't have value anymore, so let's get rid of them. Shame on us. All the more reason as we walk with all of our might, we need to walk with obedience. Obedience to this word. Notice I didn't say legalistic. I'm wearing jeans today. Did you know that? Back in 2005, I would never have worn jeans. I don't think I ever would have been voted as senior pastor. I missed my up. No, I'm just joking. It's not about a list of rules. It's about a relationship with a God who gives us direction and guidance. And when he says, do it this way, be obedient to that. But let's not add a bunch of rules that can get in the way. Let's be wise. And let's use God's word as our authority. That's why when I stop wearing a tie, 
back in 2007 on a Sunday morning. A gentleman came up to me. He's no longer here. I pray he's with the Lord. He came to me and he said, Aaron, right before the service, which God love those people, get you right before the service. Not like I'm doing anything today, you know, presenting God's word and need to focus on that. But, hey, um, just wanted to say something to you. Sure, go ahead. Um, I, think, I think you look pretty sloppy. I said, oh, okay. I said, can, can you help me? I said, I don't want to look sloppy. That day, Lisa must not dress me. So I'm like, hey, can you help me? He said, you're not wearing a tie. I said, oh, is that it? Is there something else that, I mean, I don't want to look unprofessional. I want to look, look the part. He said, no, I just think it's wrong that you're not wearing a tie. The grace of God in that moment, I smiled at him. I had my Bible with me and I said, hey, um, I don't want to be disrespectful. And I said it this way. I said, I don't want to be disrespectful in any way. I said, but can you show me in the Bible where it says that I'm supposed to wear a tie? He, he didn't like that. I share that as an example just to say there are times that we want to make our truth truth. And while sometimes it's really clear when we look at the world and the darkness that lives out there. And then we come in here and we know what the truth is when it comes to abortion or marriage or lying or cheating or stealing. But sometimes we make things more important than what they really are. We put an emphasis on something that really shouldn't be emphasized. And we miss out on emphasizing what is of more importance. If you would have came to me and said, hey, Aaron, I, I just I have something to share with you. I really feel like your your countenance or. You know, you're, you're really judgmental or you're really, um, you seem boastful. That, that's what I need to hear. I would hope he wouldn't tell me on a Sunday morning, but meet with me on another time. But that's what we need to be able to say to each other and confront one another in love. To say, let's be obedient to God. Let us, with all of who we are, all of our obedience. It's not just me. It's you. It's all of us. We are called to obey God. There's no shortcuts. Good intentions. Good intentions don't count when they're going against God. Number three is this. Let us with all our focus serve and worship the Lord. What about this wife, Michael? It's a reminder to me that there's always going to be that person or those people. What's David doing? He's celebrating. He's dancing around. And you can do your research and say, what was he wearing? Was it really like see-through? What was he, you know, was it inappropriate? Was it immodest? Because she's like, listen, you exposed yourself before these young women and Shame on you. I don't think it was that. I think he didn't wear his kingly robes like he ought to. He wasn't presenting himself like he should as a king. Instead, he's out there amongst the common people celebrating in such a way that didn't really show who he was. And here she is. 
And there will always be those who are jealous or condescending or negative. Don't be one of those. Don't be one of those. Be focused on what God has called us to do. And so as we, we finish 2022 here, may we finish strong. And as we look to 2023, may we keep our eyes focused on what God has called us to. A call to faith. We live lives of faith, not by sight. You'll hear that more in the weeks to come. But it takes focus. Because I like to please people. It's one of my horrendous qualities. What is your strength? What is your greatest strength is also one of your greatest weaknesses. And I love people. But sometimes I love them so much that I want to please them all the time. Some of you aren't like that, which is great. I need to be around you. You help me out. You help me say, Aaron, it's going to be all right. But if you're a people pleaser, don't forget, there's always going to be those Michaels. And we love them and we care for them. But notice David's response to her. He speaks truth to her. And that's what we always need to go back to. The truth. So, how do we celebrate today? There's a great hymn I want to just read for you. It reads this. Praise him, praise him, Jesus our blessed redeemer. Sing, O earth, his wonderful love proclaim. Hail him, hail him, highest archangels in glory. Strength and honor give to his holy name. Like a shepherd, Jesus will guard his children. In his arms, he carries them all day long. Praise him, praise him. Tell of his excellent greatness. Praise him, praise him. Ever in joyful song. We have an opportunity to give praise to God each day. So do it with all your might. Do it in obedience to him. And don't get distracted. There's a lot of good things. But stay focused on the best. Stay focused on him. And may God do what he desires through this church. Amen? Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your goodness. We celebrate these years in great joy. Jesus is our rock. He is our hope of eternal salvation. It's because of his crucifixion, his death, that we have hope and we've been given life. We rejoice that Jesus, our Savior, reigns forever and ever. That Christ is coming. And he is victorious over the world. We can give you praise, God, because we know who is the victor. We know who is right. We know what the ending looks like. God, you alone are God. We acknowledge that here in this place, we wouldn't have anything. We wouldn't be able to do anything without you. We couldn't get up this morning. We couldn't think this morning. We couldn't even breathe this morning if it weren't for you. 
You put it in our brain for our body to breathe. We don't even think about it. It just happens. You're that good, God. Thank you. You allow our blood to flow throughout our body. You allow us to be able to think and to meditate and to ponder, to have memory, to go back and to think about things that, that have taken place. You allow our lips to be able to speak what is going on inside of our brain. You allow our hands and our fingers to move and to do the things that our brain wants it to do. We enjoy the relationships that we do because you've given them to us. We have the jobs that you've provided for us to work. You give us the strength. You allow us when we go to bed at night that our bodies will be, quote, recharged. So that we could do it again the next day. You allow us to enjoy joy. You allow us to, to have feelings. To celebrate, but also to mourn. To have all those different ideas and thoughts and feelings, Lord. It comes from you. They are all a gift. We enjoy today because you've given it to us. Thank you for that reminder today. That we can celebrate you. And you're working. We can walk with you and learn and grow. Knowing that there's no one here that's arrived yet. We haven't uh, achieved perfection yet. But it's an ongoing wrestling, a struggle as we live in this world. We wrestle with our flesh, our earthly desires. And yet the spirit of the living God lives in us. That we can listen to and abide by and obey as your spirit guides us and leads us. Thank you for the church you've given us here at West Hill. Lord, thank you for the 73 years that you've allowed this church to be in existence. To live out faith. To share the gospel. To connect people and to grow and to serve. What a privilege, Lord, that we have now to be a part of that. And we look forward to what you will continue to do. We ask for your provision and for your blessing. Lord, we're limited in what we can see and what we know. And so, Lord, we pray for your will to be done amongst these people and in this place. May we serve you with all of our heart, with all of who we are, all of our might. May we be excited when we gather together. May you give us that excitement, that joy. May we continue to be obedient to your word. And when we fall and disobey you, and your loving faithfulness as a father, Lord, may you discipline us so that we may be quick to repent and turn back to you. So that the world may not mock you, but that they would see our brokenness and our reliance upon you.
And Lord, you know there are days that we struggle. Days where we wonder if we're doing and accomplishing what you desire. And so help us to stay focused on what you called us to do. To continue to be obedient. To continue to preach the word. To teach the word. To sing the word. To raise up our children in a way where they would know you and love you. That they would hear the truth of your word. And in hearing, they may be doers of the word as they see us adults living out and doing your word. Oh, Lord, we need your help. So I beg you this morning, would you please continue to shine upon us? We've spoken of your faithfulness. We've spoken of your greatness. So in our choosing and in our doing, individually and corporately as a church, may we be faithful to you. May we continue to see the great joy of walking with you. Because in your presence, there is joy. We love you. We thank you, Lord. For your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray.